This is Boss Ladies. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. I'm here with Jennifer Herman, and I'm so excited. Thank you for taking the time to be on Boss Ladies today. Olivia, it's a pleasure, and I'm thankful for the opportunity and look forward to a great conversation. Me too. And so, you know, can you start by just, you know, telling us a little bit about yourself and your career journey that that's led you to where you are today? Absolutely. I have had a really fun journey and I can't say that any of it was necessarily planned. I guess the first time I did plan something in my journey is right after college where uh, forgive the old reference, but I actually turned the real pages of a print newspaper in the New York Times and found my first job out of the classified sections as a receptionist in a uh, small toy ad agency. I had to take a typing test to make sure I was able to, you know, properly type the amount of words on a memo that needed to go out. But it's probably the first time I specifically had a, a thought process of how to get a job. And after that, it, it came from natural conversations and interesting meetings and networking people throughout my career. But yeah, I started as a uh, receptionist or secretary at a small company uh, in uh, lower Manhattan. Uh, that was a wonderful start to an amazing career. Awesome. And, and tell us like, so from that that starting point as a secretary, what was your next step and how did you get it? Yeah. One of the best uh, counsels I give to people starting out is I loved working for a very, very small company because at this agency, I got to be exposed to the production side of advertising, the account management side of advertising, the finance side of advertising, the, and the executives. You know, I was I was in the rooms with the CEOs every day because there was a total of seven of us working at this company. Um, and what drew me to advertising is I always liked the creative world, but I just never felt that I had a, a true creative bone in my body. So you know, the account partnership or account client and service work at ad agencies gave you the best of worth both worlds being around this creative environment but applying your kind of more strategic business background so from that small agency i met somebody who worked for gray advertising a little small agency that some folks might have heard of and uh, we had a wonderful conversation and the fact that i was exposed to so much in such a short time at uh, the first agency really gave me a leg up because, you know, while I, I didn't come from a, you know, well-known first a creative shop or uh, agency, the fact that I knew so much about the day-to-day workings of a company really helped me get that job at Gray. That's amazing. Yeah. I never, after that first job, I never really looked for a job. I met people that were so interesting that I would, I, I, found myself saying, oh, I would actually like to work for you at X company. So I was never really looking to go to Gray. I found uh, a very interesting conversation randomly happening with a woman who I'm still dear, dear friends with today. Her name is Nicole Ferry. Uh, And Nicole and I had a wonderful conversation. And I kind of said to her, can I come work for you? And that's how I got into Gray. And I spent about, uh, I don't know, five or so years there. 
And then quite frankly, I found myself in a really interesting conversation with a woman who worked for the WNBA at the time. I was at an event called Women in Sports and Events or WISE. And I started talking to uh, a woman named Jennifer at the WNBA. And I don't know, four to six months later, I landed a, a really, really exciting opportunity at the NBA again because of somebody I met and a great conversation we had at a random event. I just want to quickly shout out to you know the concept of informal networking and, and how powerful that can be. A hundred percent. It is... It's so powerful on a number of different levels. From my perspective, one, just the connectivity of like-minded people, especially if you're networking in a space that you have interest in. You know, the reason why I joined WISE was twofold. You know, selfishly, I wanted to see if I could help my own passion for sports. I was a, a athlete growing up and in college, and uh, I just was always interested in the, in the business of sports. And then I also thought it could be a good business networking opportunity for Gray. And lo and behold, I met somebody, uh, well, I met many people, you know, Jen is just one that st- stood out to me uh, for this conversation, but I met a bunch of really impressive, uh, uh, motivational senior, in this case, female executives that just really uh, put a new spotlight on other opportunities that exist in the world. So absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. And I think it's amazing. And I think you know, it's obviously been hard in times of COVID to still continue that networking, but I always encourage and other women on the show as well, you know, we always talk about different ways to sort of continue that networking, you know, even in the remote era, whether it's grabbing virtual coffee or if there's other ways to sort of find yourself connected to other other people. Yeah. And you have to be comfortable with the uncomfortable part of it especially in the virtual space. Uh, I am also more recently a member of the chief organization and I became a member only in the virtual world. And uh, you may or may not know, um, chief is an organization that empowers, again, senior female executives to kind of connect with one another. So one of their most compelling aspects is the meetups and the networking. So you have to pivot in times like uh, we're in now to force yourself to outreach on your own and use that community board and say, hey, I read your profile. It's almost like online dating a little bit. <laughs> hey, I read your profile. Would you, you know, would you mind spending 15, 20 minutes with me? I'd love to learn more about you. And it's hard to do at first. Uh, it really is. It's uncomfortable, but you get through that first one, you get through the second one, and then and then it's great. And then you hope someone reaches out to you so you can offer the same kind of counsel that you've been given. Totally. That's that's such an important point is to always pay it back. Oh, a hundred percent. I find it and I find it so not only powerful for your own journey, but it's 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 the right thing to do. And I would not be where I was today if I didn't have a significant network of individuals around me that just did a solid for me, a favor for me and put a call in for me or gave me counsel because I was nervous about an interview that I was going to go on. I mean, there's just nothing that I did alone. (laughs) No, me too, honestly. So I I totally agree with that. So going back to career journey, you're at the NBA. What was that like? And how did you, you know, get to Evergreen? What's it? 
the NBA is, uh, that was my Harvard education. So I, <laughs> I, I truly was, it was, uh, you know, I, I was not someone who had the opportunity to go to graduate school. I was at the NBA for four years and it was my, you know, master's education. Uh, I was there at the time where David Stern was the uh, commissioner and uh, he, you know, he, he ran an organization that was stellar with, um, you know, holding the bar very high for performance. Uh, I had some incredible bosses and mentors while I was there, incredible marketing partners. I worked in the global marketing partnership group, and that was essentially, you know, working with our uh, global partners like Nike, Gatorade, Southwest, Anheuser-Busch, and collaborating on ways that our two brands could, could, uh, you know, could collectively raise awareness for one another and partner on key initiatives that would just um, create some really great opportunities for both of our organizations. And it was incredible. It was really, really hard work. It was really uh, intimidating at times because the level of individuals and the type of thinking at that organization is stellar, continues to be. But at the same time, it was, again, if, if, you're, if you are willing to put yourself out there and feel vulnerable and surround yourself, hopefully, by people that make it okay to uh, fail forward, you know, you could do a lot in four years. And, and I did. And I met a lot of tremendous people. But I think it's really where I grew up as an executive. I really got my you know feet grounded at that organization, and it really set the stage for how I would deploy my skills moving forward. So it was a crucial time in my career path. That's amazing. And and honestly, I, I agree with what you've said. I, I'm always blown away by a lot of the decisions they make. I mean, even around setting up the bubble during COVID, I feel like they're definitely pioneers. So that's awesome. I mean, the, the way you, you know, that organization within my journey, I, I have to imagine there's a, a, a hundreds of organizations similar to them, but in my journey uh, of, of career pathing and growing up, that organization opened my eyes to how to be nimble. You know, I mean, you know, forgive the pun, but every, you know, the, the number of things that were thrown at you at the NBA and how you had to pivot and, you know, I was there during, and now there's a, I think there's a, a Netflix uh, documentary on it, which was the melee at the palace when uh, there was that fight in the, in the palace of the, the, the Detroit, uh, and I forget the other team, but I, I was there in moments that, you know, you need to move, you need to be on your feet. And, um, and truly, you know, we talk about the, you know, partner economy now, but it was truly one of the places too, where I wasn't just a service vendor. I was a, a true partner, a collaborative partner with another big brand, right? So it wasn't just how does the NBA service Gatorade or how does the NBA service uh, any of the other partners? It was how do our two brand equities help one another to get to where we want to go? So it was, it was a really, really cool place to work and really intense and intimidating, at times, <laughs> but wonderful. So what led you to Evergreen Trading? Evergreen was interesting because once again, I got a call from a friend of mine who was there that says, you have to meet this person. It wasn't about, of course, this is a great company, but you have to meet um, this person. Uh, that person's name was Mark Ordover, who's my current COO at Evergreen. And when I sat with Mark, 
And by the way, I thought, why would I leave Gray and the NBA and all these great places to work for something called media investment or at the time barter? Like, no way, this is not, this is not sexy enough for me. I'm not, (laughs) I'm not doing that. And thank God I didn't listen to myself. And I, I truly never try to say no to anything, but I took my friend's counsel and I met uh, Mark and we had a phenomenal hour and a half conversation about the creative world that the fiscally creative world that barter, uh, which we now refer to as media investment was. And I just had a ball talking to him. And I, for the first time thought, this is an industry that I I've never heard of before. And I've been working with Mark and then obviously, uh, the extended evergreen family for a very long time. And I, and I hope it's a place that I stay for a, a very long time after that. That's wonderful. And what a great career journey you've had and excited to see, you know, the, the wavelengths you continue to, the waves, I should say, you continue to make. So a question for you, how has your experience as someone who has worked in a lot of different male dominated spaces and industries contributed to sort of your overall goals and your overall approach to creating a diverse, inclusive and equitable environment um, at Evergreen and, and maybe in past roles as well? You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I have to say, I think I've been fortunate in two ways. One, even at the companies that may or be considered more male or the industries that are more male dominant, I've never worked for um, any male executive who believed in a glass ceiling. So I've never uh, had a, a male boss who I felt that I was held back by. So very, very fortunate in my journey. I know everybody else is not as fortunate, but I've only had, uh, and maybe it's because, like I said, I don't look for companies, I look for people to work for. Um, So I've been fortunate in that sense. Also, all of the companies that I've joined from the NBA to Evergreen to um, Gray, there's always been really strong female representation from day one in my interviews too. So I've always felt like any company that I was going to join based on that initial conversation, I would be surrounded by really strong female executives. So that's really my path in, on that side. Now, as a gay executive, as a, a woman that came out in my 20s, again, I was very fortunate to it was scary. You know, I, I think, you know, I came out in, uh, when I worked for gray, um, in, I guess it was at the time, uh, let's call it the late nineties, early two thousands. And then subsequently when I went to other companies, I don't know, I don't know that I consciously talked about my personal side, uh, in the interview stage, but I never, you know, once I was part of the organization, I never shied away from the conversation. So again, I've been, I've been lucky. It's been a journey from my own self-discovery. You know, I did a lot of work on myself to feel that comfortable. Uh, so, um, but I also, again, was fortunate enough to be surrounded by people and organizations that two things didn't matter to them. The fact that I was a female or the fact that I was a gay female. I, I like what you just said that you did a lot of work on yourself in that in that self discovery and that journey. I mean, if you're comfortable sharing, what was some of that work that you did to feel more comfortable, and what helped you make the decision to talk about that? Because I mean, we both know um, Jennifer Brown, and she's been on the podcast, and she talks about the concept of bringing your full self to work. And 
and you really did. So can you can you share a little bit more about that experience? Absolutely. I mean, you know, listen, on a very personal level, I lost uh, my father at a very young age. So there was a very, yeah, oh, thank you. There was a, but there, it's part of the story because, you know, it's, it, I don't want anybody to feel bad. It's part of the story because I made a very conscious decision at an early age that if you don't live life to the fullest, you, you might never get an opportunity to, <laughs> to live that. So I had to do the work outside of any organization and whether that's, you know, one, you know, maybe a little bit of, of therapy to you know, testing the ground with friends, getting comfortable with myself. And quite frankly, I didn't want to be selfishly, I didn't want to be left out of any conversations. Like if everybody else was coming in and talking about the fun stuff they did on the weekend, why couldn't I? <laughs> and, you know, I will also say there is something and I feel I still think I have um, residual effects of it at, as a 49, almost 50 year old uh, woman now of imposter syndrome. I think living a closeted life for a long time, even after you come out. And again, I came out almost 25 years ago. There are moments where you still uh, feel insecure about, you know, wait, where am I? Am I, did I really make it? Am I really out? Am I really this? So I'm not going to lie. There's our moments of imposter syndrome that still sneak in even to this day. But yeah, the work I did on myself, it was, you know, a personal journey of getting outside counsel, surrounding myself with good friends, and quite frankly, taking risks that make me feel so uncomfortable and forcing myself to do it to this day, forcing myself. I was very scared to work for the NBA. I knew how how demanding that organization was. And it, it could have been, enough. I was happy in my job. It could have been enough for me to not take it, to not take the risk and fail. But I thought, how could I do that? How can I not tell people you know, that I work for one of the greatest brands in the globe, on the globe? So you certainly, I still do things today that make my stomach queasy. I was teasing you before we started recording, like today, this moment, it could be one of them <laughs> recording a podcast. <laughs> so let's go, let's be vulnerable and full disclosure. I'm not, I'm not my best self on these types of things, but I got to get out there and try. So it's, it's, you know, one thing I can kind of provide counsel on is, you know, even after you've, been through the ringer and gone through your own journey, there's still going to be moments uh, late in your career that are going to make you uncomfortable and you're going to be scared. And, and that's good. That means you're never really relaxed. No, thank you so much for sharing that. And I think you're you're doing an amazing job. I think the key, honestly, is just is being authentic and true. And, and you've been so vulnerable, which is amazing. I mean, this is I'm loving this conversation. You know, I, I oftentimes when you're the only, you know, insert demographic here, right? Blank in the room, either gender, race, sexuality, that can be really hard and really scary. So how do you approach these situations? And do you have any recommendations for listeners that are struggling with this? Yeah, a hundred percent. It's, you know, it's really about how you find your voice and it's, it's challenging. And by the way, it's not just, of course, it's gender and, you know, how you look in the room. It could also be seniority, you know, when, you know, I've mm -hmm. grown up and, and been around all kinds of different levels. And you're still, even if you're on an executive team at a company, uh, you might be intimidated because all of a sudden the board members come in. So, you know, it is, 
you know, listen, it's, it's a hard, it's hard counsel to give because I think for the most part, you just got to kind of live through it. You have to learn how to trust your voice and trust your instincts. You know, I remember, um, if I can digress for a second and tell a very quick story, but you know, when I first joined, um, I think it was Evergreen. You know, I, I worked for Mark Cordover and a couple of other places, the gentleman I referred to before. But, you know, I remember starting brand new at the company and it must have been like day number four. And they were, they chose to send me out on a big business pitch, new business pitch. And I said, well, what, what are you doing? I'm, I'm here four days. You're sending your rookie into the Super Bowl. And they, he said back to me, don't worry, I'm also sending my all pro, excuse, by the way, excuse the uh, sports references, you can tell. So apologies <laughs> for anybody who I'm losing right now on this, but essentially he said, I'm, I'm sending my all pro defensive team with you so you can't fall. And so I guess what, what comes out of there is when somebody tells you you can do something, believe them. Because they often know more than you, especially if you're new in the game. So, you know, I think if I could, a long-winded way of trying to answer your question is, you know, you have to do the work to find your voice. You have to kind of be conscious of, you know, the feeling you're experiencing in the meeting or in the room and try to say, okay, what is it? Is it because I'm not prepared? Is it because I am the only woman and I'm not comfortable? Is it because they're not making me comfortable or is it because I'm making myself uncomfortable? And you've got to start doing a little bit of an audit of, you know, what's happening, how you're feeling and how you want to change it moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, to your earlier point, like imposter syndrome is so real and it, and it sounds like even what you just said of, of having someone, having a peer, having an ally, just reaffirm that, you know, you have all the qualifications and, and you got to trust that. Um, I think really helps combat that. And being vulnerable is huge. Like, it, you know, again, it, you know, I've, I, I'm lucky because I've surrounded myself in a work environment with people who I happen to trust and, and we've earned that trust over mm-hmm. time, but I'll be vulnerable in front of a, before a big meeting and say to either my, my boss or someone who works next to me or for me, anybody and say, I'm really nervous. Anybody else? <laughs> and, or, okay, yeah. this is where I'm not sure I can nail this point. Who else has a point of view? Maybe I switch up who handles this part of the presentation. Like, you know, you've got to be okay with being vulnerable to every level around you to say, no, uh, I don't think I'm going to nail this one today. I need some help. And uh, it's huge. And being vulnerable, both with people who work with you and around you and partners and clients and vendors. I mean, humanity is a powerful thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think vulnerability, I mean, so Brene Brown has that TED talk um, on vulnerability and that, that is something that, you know, has helped me a lot and it's hard to be vulnerable and it's scary to be vulnerable. But I think the thing that you're saying and, you know, that she says as well is just that it pays off and it's so rewarding when you actually push yourself to be vulnerable. Uh, not Not only do I believe it's rewarding, I think it makes us stronger for the next time. Because once once you share that vulnerability, you probably are not going to be, you're not going to feel as vulnerable the next time around. So you just kind of start, you got to get over these little humps. And, you know, I'm, I'm saying it as if it's a walk in the park. It's not, it's really hard. You know, we're, 
uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell an embarrassing, vulnerable story. I was single for a very long time. And, um, you know, someone reminded me that you're successful at other things because you work really, really, really hard at it. Every day you work really, really hard at being the best you can be as a person, the best you can be as an individual, the best you could be, you know, at work. And all of a sudden you just think a partner is going to pop in your life because you're hanging out and you're waiting for this. You're like, you got to work for it. <laughs> and it's true. Yeah, and that's good. That's hard. a good I mean, point. Anybody <laughs> single out there, trust me, I didn't meet my soulmate until I was 40, let's see, 43. So it took me a little while. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but you, but the truth is, you have to work on it. Meaning the number of first dates that I went on that were so bad because I didn't show up well, because I was intimidated, because I was scared, because I was still, you know, you, you work on it. And then, and then you find yourself open enough and vulnerable enough to actually meet somebody that you never thought in a million years you'd get to meet or work for an organization like Evergreen or like the NBA or like Gray that you never thought you'd have the opportunity to work at. Like that's what vulnerability does. It gives you this wonderful pot at the end of the rainbow that you really honestly didn't know exist. I could have never mapped out that I was going to work for the NBA. I could have never mapped out that I was going to work for a great company called Evergreen Trading, which now is an ESOP company. Evergreen just sold its all of this, the, uh, the company to its employees. So how phenomenal is that? I am now an owner. I would have never thought in a million years that I'd become an employee owner. So these are things you can't necessarily map out, but you can be willing, open, and vulnerable enough to take the experience. Yeah. And so what I'm hearing is that if I don't put any work no, into my dating life, I'm never going to meet Don't someone. even call me. <laughs> they won't just magically find me. <laughs> You are not going to do not stop watching the rom-coms. It's not going to happen. You got to do the work and then something magical will happen. That I can promise you. If you do the work, it will happen. <laughs> I love that so much. And I love how you've sort of, no, I love how you've talked about vulnerability across different areas and how it's, it's about putting in that time, being open and being vulnerable in all the different areas of your life. It's not, it's not easy to do, to do good things. That's if it was easy, everybody would do it. Right. So you just, it's not easy. <laughs> very, very true. So, you know, I think a lot of these experiences can be very challenging on our mental health. And I think especially this, this past year and a half has been even more challenging than we ever could have imagined. Um, so I did want to talk a little bit about mental health. I mean, you had mentioned therapy earlier on. I'm in therapy. I love therapy. And, you know, is, is there anything else that you recommend that, that has helped, that's been helpful for you with regards to mental health to sort of help you stay balanced with all these challenges? Yeah. Well, I'm a huge advocate for exercise and, and, and physical health, which I think is absolutely, and I know science backs it, is connected. So I am an avid, um, uh, runner. Uh, not long. I did run while well, I did run the marathon. I'll never do that again, but, uh, I probably, yeah, it is, it was a bucket list thing. It was great. Talk about practice and preparation. My gosh. But yeah, so I ran the marathon. Uh, I believe it was 2009 with great experience, but don't need to do it again, but I do still run every day. My daily runs are more, you know, closely aligned to four miles and 20, 
6.2 miles, but, um, but yeah, so I get out, I'm an early riser. So, you know, now that I uh, live with that wonderful partner I talked about before, uh, you know, we're in Manhattan or uh, where I'm actually in Brooklyn. So we're in a small space. So my morning routine is mine. And I think it's very important to have your own silent time to think and reflect. So every morning I get up between five and five thirty, and I go for a run. And there are some days where I work out in the gym and I lift a little bit. So a, a constant and steady physical routine for me is paramount. Uh, I get ideas when I run. Uh, I get ideas uh, when I'm kind of on my own, even if it's still with a cup of coffee in the dark with nothing going on yet. It's just paramount for me to have a reset in the morning. A lot of people do that at night. You know, my partner's more of a night owl. She's a creative designer and uh, um, and a painter, so she's a little bit different in how she kind of spends her day. So her time away from me and a way for her to be creative is at night when I'm well sleeping for hours. So that kind of moment to think reflect, ideate, be creative in your own way. You know, my creativity is maybe how I can present a story in a PowerPoint versus how I could, you know, paint a wonderful canvas. But I, I think for me, uh, my, I know, and my partner will even say, oh, you didn't run today, did you? Because my, you know, I'm more impatient, agitated, and kind of frustrated. So a physical... Uh, and I'm an avid skier as well and a golfer. So I also look for activities outside that I could be with other people and compete and play and have fun. So I'm always staying active. That's awesome. And I like that you spoke to sort of how your partner, you know, balances mental health as well, because it's, it's true that it's different for everyone. But I agree, honestly, I hadn't been exercising a lot during the pandemic. And I was an athlete in college and before college. And, you know, it, it just recently I started getting really back into it again and it it's been a I game know. changer. I mean, the fact that I even stopped, it's just it's day and night. <laughs> it it truly is. And physical, you know, uh, you know, consequences aside, it, it's for me, it's so much more tied into how I feel emotionally when I'm running or when I'm skiing or when I'm golfing. And it, you know, the whether or not you know I have stronger legs or you know a smaller size that's that's a consequence the 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 bigger benefit to me is how it makes me feel emotionally and and how my attitude is and and how I approach the day and I'm someone who needs to do that first thing in the morning and I love it I love the time by myself totally I mean honestly I come back from a run now and I'm like smiling and happy. And I'm like, I don't even know what I'm happy about, <laughs> but it's just all those endorphins. So I definitely oh, yes. second that. So if you could go back and tell your younger self who was just getting started with her career or something, what would that be? Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, to trust your gut more, to listen to your voice. Like my it took me a very long time to recognize that my instincts were pretty good. And it may sound cliche and it may come with experience to you can't really trust your gut until you have a couple wins under your belt, et cetera. But I think even at a young age, you know, if you have good instincts and, and, and thankfully it's because, you know, instincts are not necessarily anything you learn. You, you sharpen them because you're around different circumstances but I've always had uh, a good a good ability to read the room, to have good instincts, and 
And but, you know, I never trusted my voice uh, soon enough. And it took me a lot of people. It took a lot of people over a long time to convince me that I should trust my voice. So I wish I could have done that a little bit earlier. I think that's great advice. And hopefully anyone early on in their career listening and takes it now, you know, and really trust your gut and your voice. And don't be a hero. Like, take people's help, you know. I mean, if someone helps you get into an organization or cracks the door for you, they're not getting you the job. They're they're giving you an at-bat. We Everybody could take any help necessary to get the at bat. You just got to break through, you know? So, you know, I was uh, uh, my, one of my best friends growing up, her daughter was looking for an internship and she didn't want anybody to help her. And I thought, Oh, that's silly. Let us help you. We're not going to get you the job. We're going to get you the shop. And, you know, and, but I get it. She was a, you know, uh, she goes to a phenomenal college and she wanted to do it on her own, but there is no loss of pride in having someone help you out. It's, it's, I would, I do it every day. I look for help. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My last question for you, which I ask in every episode, it's my favorite thing to ask is what is one of your greatest accomplishments? Well, as a joke, I'm going to say finally getting a wonderful partner <laughs> in my life at 43 <laughs> years old. Um, woo-hoo! Woo! Um, I'll tell you, one of my greatest accomplishments is really loving. I'm sorry if this sounds cheesy. But I loved every organization I've worked for. I, I just, I never made a bad company choice. And again, I think it goes back because I chose people over company. And I chose to work for places that mm-hmm. I met the people first. And I just, while some, some opportunities were shorter than others, I never looked back and said, boy, that company was a bad pivot. I just was really, really, I, I, I pride myself in saying yes to opportunities that I thought I would never in a million years uh, either be in front of because I've never heard of the opportunity or imagine that I could be a part of like a, 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 an NBA. So I fancy myself uh, a little prideful on being able to navigate a really fun and interesting career that not only I'm proud of, but my family's kind of proud of too, which is really nice because I love my family and they mean a lot to me. (laughs) (laughs) That is an amazing answer and an amazing note to end on. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. It's been such a pleasure. And thank you again for inviting me on. It's been a blast. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Boss Ladies. Check back next week for a new episode. Visit us at www.bossladiespodcast.com for more information about the show or follow us at Boss Ladies Podcast on Instagram. Rate, like, and follow the show on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Mm-hmm.